My prayer this morning is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Amen. So, does it annoy you that the guy on Sprint used to be the guy on AT&T? They stole him away, right? And I remember on AT&T, because they had that great commercial, he was just like a technician, and he was all over the country, and what did he say? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Now, I don't know about you, but my new car can make phone calls. And Vicky's new car makes phone calls. And sometimes we call each other in the car. Now, both hands are on the wheel. It's all hands-free. I'm sorry. That's a little too Star trek for me, right? I, I, I'm not ready for this level of technology. And sometimes you're driving and there's traffic noise and, and then you go, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Well, this is where Jesus is addressing the people in Israel because they pray and sometimes it doesn't feel like they get an answer. And imagine them shaking their prayer phone saying to God, can you hear me now? And I want you to think about this. They were in Egypt as slaves for 400 years. They prayed for 400 years. Can you hear me now? Then there were 400 years between the end of the book of Malachi and the birth of Jesus Christ. 400 years. They're praying for the, the Savior to come, the Messiah, and they're saying, can you hear me now? And the Messiah is there. And I want you to think about this. They didn't recognize that he was the Messiah and they're still praying. And Jesus says this parable is so that you will remember to keep praying and not be discouraged. Now, if you're taking notes, there's a spot on the back of your bulletin for that. That It assumes that we who are believers are doing what? Praying. Now, I teach music, and my friend, Dave, teaches instrumental music. And he has practice logs, and he sends it home with the kids. And the kids have to practice for 20 to 30 minutes a day. And then the parents have to sign off and they bring it back. And it's 20% of their grade. Did you practice? I would like to have a prayer log. I would like to send you all home with a little prayer log. And you would sit in your quiet place in your house. And then your wife or your husband or whomever you live with would have to sign off and say, Yes, Danny prayed or Sam prayed or... We, they prayed, and you could bring it back. It'd be twenty percent of your grade. Now, I want you to know that everybody prays. Maybe not all the time, but we always pray when we're in trouble, don't we? When the ship is sinking and we can't bail any faster, that's usually when we pray. And Jesus says, "No, you need to pray constantly." Now, everybody talks about the verse that Paul says: "Pray without ceasing." So this is your Greek moment. I apologize in advance. But the word in Greek is adialepitos. I won't spell it for you. You can look it up. But actually what it means is pray as if you have a hacking cough. That's exactly the way they used it in ancient Greek. And what it means is have you ever tried not to cough? Right? You're in a, a theater or a concert hall. Maybe you're going to the opera, you know. And, and all of a sudden it's coming. And you know it's coming and you're, you're trying to, you can't stop it. 
It's, it's a response to a stimulus, and that's what Paul says. We need to pray as naturally as we cough. Something happens, we pray. Something happens, we pray. It's this constant, ongoing dialogue. Uh, Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade for Christ, said that praying is spiritual breathing. In with the blessings and the word of God and out with the things that you don't need in your life. And it should be a constant, that prayer should be as constant as breathing. Joyce Myers would like to remind you that the Bible says, you ask not, you have not, because you ask not. Which reminds me of the man who prayed every day, every day, faithfully, constantly. Lord, let me win the lottery. Let me win the lottery. Lord, let me win the lottery. And one day, a voice from heaven said, it would really help if you bought a ticket. (laughs) Or you might remember the movie, uh, Bruce Almighty, where uh, Jim Carrey uh, becomes a stand-in for God, and he hears everybody's prayers in the world, and it's this overwhelming cacophony of sound. And finally, he decides that the way to handle it is to tell everybody yes. And then it's on the news that everybody won the lottery. And they all got a nickel. (laughs) Right? God says, pray constantly. Now, the story that Jesus tells today for us has two characters that are what Carl Jung, the psychologist, would call archetypes. In Jesus' day, the widow was definitely the underdog. She was the, the, she was the David, and the, the judge was the Goliath. And she was the good character, and the judge was the bad character. And the commentaries that I read in preparation for this would like you to know that it is not an allegory, it's a metaphor. The, the unjust judge in the story is not God. God would never describe himself as an unjust unjust judge. Say that 10 times when you go home while you're flapping your arms like a hummingbird, do them at the same time. Here's what happens. If you were a widow in Jesus' time and you had a problem, you didn't go to the judge, you went to the town gate where the elders were. We talked about this a lot when we studied the book of Ruth. And that's where business transactions took place for the town, that's where Deals were made and pacts were made and issues were solved, challenges were solved. So the fact that Jesus put the judge in the story would mean that he was a Roman magistrate assigned to that area to keep the peace. And they were called in Jesus' day robber judges, very much like the robber barons we had after the Civil War. They were robber judges, and they were known for being judges that could be bought. That's how they made their money. Much like Matthew, the tax collector, made money by increasing the amount of tax you had to play, the judge would say, well, what, what, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And the person who put the most money in their hand would get what they wanted. So into this story comes a widow, and it's amazing to me that this applies to our Thursday night studies because we've been studying, we studied Ruth. Was it? Yes, I did Ruth, you did Titus. We studied Ruth and a widow without children was without power, she was without protection, she was without income. She was the most unsupported, unprotected person in Israel. 
and she has a problem. And I like the fact that Jesus doesn't tell us what the problem is because we can relate. Everybody in the room today has some kind of problem with which they besiege heaven. Everybody has a prayer. Everybody has a heartfelt prayer. And we are shooting our prayers to heaven. Up they go. And we are people who like efficiency and speed. We are microwave people. We are ATM people. We are speed dial people. Remember when you used to have to memorize phone numbers? Right? They used to sing them on the commercials. PI4 to 200, that's the number for the plumber. Just nod, because you remember that silly song, but there it goes. We had to, you don't have to memorize it anymore. You don't even have to look it up. You pick up your phone and you say, okay, Google. And the little speaker comes up and you go, what's the phone number for? We want it like this. And the funny thing is, we want our prayers like that. Oh, Lord, I pray, do something, do something, do something. And the widow was praying constantly every day and wearing down this judge. Now, I want you to think of the judge not as God, the commentaries made that very clear, but as the issue that you want to change. Sometimes God says, I, I don't want that issue to change. You're going to have to keep praying. And sometimes, I want you to hear this, if the issue involves a person, God has given us free will, and God has made it very clear that he will not force us to change our mind. Heaven is open, but you have to walk through the door. So you may be praying and praying and praying constantly for that issue to change. And the only person that's going to change in that prayer would be you. Back to this speed and efficiency thing. We, I made a list, so I want to share the list with you because you know I like my list. We have tea bags. Now my, my aunt in England... She would never use a tea bag. She had a little tea ball, and she would measure several different kinds of tea in, and she would do it in the pot and let it steep and brew. And she said, tea bags just don't make the same kind of tea, right? We don't even have to you carry money anymore. I don't know about the kids in your life. Mine are now in their 20s and 30s. We go out to eat. They go, oh, I don't have any cash, Dad, because they all do the Apple Pay and the Google Pay and the... You know who winds up paying for dinner? The guy who still carries cash. Right? We have 24-hour Wawa's. Who needs to buy gas and a 32-ounce Slurpee at 2 o'clock in the morning? But it's there. It's available. You don't have to wait anymore. We can buy things now that will not only pressure cook, but bake at the same time. I was on the bike at the gym today, and Ninja, the people that make the blenders now have an Instapot that's an oven. So you not only cook your chicken really fast, but it crisp it. And they said that you could do a whole chicken in 30 minutes. And of course, they demonstrate that on TV, right? We want it like this. And God says, slow down. Take a deep breath. My timing is different than yours. A day is like a thousand years. And I'm like, really? You want me to wait a thousand years? And God says, you know what? I promised Adam and Eve that their child would one day crush the head of the serpent. And that was 3,500 years later. My time is different than your time. Let me catch up here. So 
There are four things I want you to hear about our widow praying. Four lessons that we can take. Now, before we get there, if you do not have a daily system of praying, Pope Francis, the new Pope, came out with this wonderful thing to remind you how to pray and to cover everything. And all you need is a hand. Did everybody bring their hand to church today? He says, your thumb should remind you to pray for your loved ones because it's closest to your heart. So, you hold your thumb and you pray for your loved ones, your family, your friends, the people that are close to you. He says, the pointer finger reminds us to pray for the people that teach us. Our pastors, our teachers, our instructors, wherever we are. So we've got family, those we love, and our instructors. He said the middle finger is the tallest, and that should remind us to pray for our governmental leaders, for our town leaders, our county freeholders, our state senators and congressmen, all the way up to, like we prayed for today, our commander-in-chief. We've got to pray for them. We may not agree with them. We may not like them. We may not like the things they do, but God says you still have to pray for them. He says, the next finger, your ring finger, is the weakest of all fingers. And that should remind you to pray for the poor and the sick and those in need of healing and strength. And then your pinky, the smallest pinky, the last one, he says, you should pray for yourself. After you have prayed for your family, your teachers, your governmental leaders, those that need God's special help and care, then you can pray for yourself. Having said that, we need to pray persistently. The first thing the widow did, and the story makes it very clear, is she knocked on his door every day. Right? Think hummingbird. Right? Every day. Every day. Persistently. It reminds me of a story of the crazy lady. The crazy lady lived next door to an atheist. And she wasn't really a crazy lady. That's what he called her. Because she went up to her second floor and she prayed every day. And she didn't have air conditioning, so the window was open, and this atheist could hear her prayers every day. And she prayed every day for everything. And he thought, that lady is crazy. And one day, he heard her, and she was praying, Father, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough food, and I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know that it's in your hands and that you are a God who provides for his children. And the atheist said, I'm going to show her, I'm going to answer that prayer. He went to the grocery store and he bought the crazy lady next to her groceries and he knocked on her door and he gave her the groceries and she began praising God, shouting wonderful things about the goodness of God. He said, lady, God didn't do this. I did this. And she went down the street running, praising God. And he's chasing her. And finally he got up and he said, you're crazy. God didn't answer this prayer. I did. And she said, no, God answered the prayer. I just didn't know he was going to make the devil pay for it. (laughs) Persistence. We've got to be persistent. The second thing that the lady had was a vision. I want you to hear this. She knew what she wanted. Joyce Meyer says, you have not because you ask not. But do you know what you're asking for? Young people pray, Lord, send me somebody to love. (laughs) You need more information than that, right? Or you might wind up with a puppy instead of a a, a helpmate. You never know, right? You've got to pray with vision. What's your vision for our church? What ministry do you think we need to add to our church? What, What songs do you want us to sing? What sermons do you need to hear? Who in your life do you need to bring here to hear the songs and the sermons? 
Do you have a vision for this place and your part in this place? The story is told of a, a young man who went to his parish priest. He was Catholic. And he said, I don't know what to do. And the priest said, what? What's wrong? And he said, there is so much evil and sickness in the world. Why isn't God doing anything? In essence, he's saying, can you hear me now? The priest looked him in the eye and he said, he did do something. He created you. It's a true story. And the young man's name was Desmond Tutu. Mm -hmm. Have to have a vision. God did something. He made you. Now the third thing is related to the first, but they are different. The next one is patience and faithfulness. Not only do you have to persist, but you have to believe that God answers prayer. I, Norman Vincent Peale and his wife, Ruth, had a vision to start a booklet. You've all at least seen the booklet once. Some of you might even get it at your house. My mother and grandmother and mother-in-law have piles of these booklets at their house. Anybody know what it's called? Guideposts. Guideposts. However, when it first got started, the vision was there, the belief was there, but the money wasn't there, and they were hemorrhaging money. And they heard that a man named Harold Pugh, from the Pugh Foundation, before there was a Pugh Foundation, was coming to town, and they knew that Harold Pugh had a lot of money, and that he often supported ministries like this. And Norman Vincent Peale got an appointment to go see Harold Pugh, and he interviewed him for two hours. And he asked about their vision, and he asked about their plans, and where the money would go, and how it would be used. And he never, uh, I wrote this down, because he said he offered no solutions. He just listened, and at the end of the meeting, he said, thank you very much. And Norman Vincent Peale went home, and he said, Ruth, we're going to have to find something else to do. Harold Pugh is not the answer. A week later, Ruth was opening the mail, and there was an envelope from Harold Pugh with a check that was enough money to fill in the gaps and support them for a few months in the future, which is all they needed. And Guidepost is still a ministry today. You have to have patience and faithfulness. God is a loving, caring God, and he will do things in his time. Now, if you ever have somebody who says that this is number four, you have to be prayerful. And they say, does prayer really work? I don't know if you know this, but they did a study at a hospital. And they had 393 cardiac patients come into the hospital. And they had to be equally sick upon admission. I don't know how they figured that out, but that was part of the study. They had to be equally sick upon admission. And they divided them down the middle and they had people who volunteered to pray for half of them, and the other half did not receive prayer. The patients were never told <coughs> that they were being prayed for because they thought that would interfere with the study. So they wanted to see if prayer really worked. Charles Osgood actually followed this up with a news story about it, and here's what they found out. The prayer group had zero intubations or feeding tubes. There were no breathing tubes put down and no feeding tubes put in. The non-prayer group had 12 tubes put in. 
the, non, the prayer group only had two people out of 195 that needed antibiotics. The non-prayer group had 12 people, nine people that needed antibiotics. They also wanted, if you know cardiac patients, they're worried about CHF, pneumonia, and cardiac arrest while they're in the hospital. The prayer patients had almost none, and the non-prayer patients had all of the above. There's actually a study, a scientific study, that says prayer works. Now remember, Jesus started this with an admonition. This parable is for people who do what? Pray. It doesn't work unless you're praying. And he says at the end of the parable, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find you faithful? Will he find you praying? The way you pray says a lot about you. Your faith, your relationship with God, and your depth of belief in his work and word. If you've never had the opportunity to pray what we call the sinner's prayer and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a relationship with you and I want to know your son Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal savior. Then during the last hymn, come forward and we would love to pray with you. If your prayer life needs a boost or a change of direction, if you need to, to share with somebody that my prayer life is not what I want it to be, it's not what I think God wants it to be, and I need some direction, I need somebody to point me in the right way, our elders or our pastors would love to pray with you, and you could come forward during the last hymn. Or if your prayers have laid a burden on your heart, and you want us to pray with you, or an idea for a ministry or an outreach, something that God has challenged you to do, and you need to share that with somebody, we would love to pray with you. Because prayer works, friends. We don't have to ask, can you hear me now? The answer is yes. Amen.